All right. Well, I'm sitting here via Zoom from Indiana to the great state of Colorado with Wick Rayner, uh, president and co-founder of Brewery Finance. Man, how are you? I'm very well, man. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm doing fantastic. You know, I'm, being in the financial world, I, I always said that when I started this podcast, I wanted to kind of have interesting folks from around the craft brew universe. So we've done brewery owners. We've done the brewer masters that make the beer. I had some guys on recently that are trying to do some things with technology to improve the lives of brewery owners. So me being in the financial world, I thought what better person to bring on than somebody that specifically deals with finance in the, in the craft brew universe. And, uh, (laughs) and uh, in honor of that, I always drink a beer when we have a meeting like this or record an episode. So I'm like, try to find a beer that exemplified the financial side of things. So we have, uh, we have Taxman from here in uh, the great state of Indiana. Going to be drinking a gold standard today. So hopefully you have a, a Colorado beer in front of you, and we'll do a cheers and start this thing, man. I do. Right. I got my, myself a, a tree shaker, mango IPA from Odell. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily money-themed, but I like to think we like to shake the money out of the trees. So we'll, we'll go ahead and put that one down. The All right, my man. Well, cheers. Good stuff. Cheers. <laughs> I appreciate the opportunity. Fantastic, man. Well, uh, as I said, I want to bring interesting folks from around the, the craft brew universe. So for those that may be unfamiliar with brewery finance or what you guys do, I'd love to just kind of ha- hear the origin story about how you got things started. Sure. Yeah, I appreciate it. I, I don't know how how interesting we are, but uh, I do like beer. <laughs> you do have a financial <laughs> podcast, so, so it seems like a, a match made in heaven. Huh? For yeah, sure. Brewery finance, uh, yeah. I, I founded Brewery Finance uh, back in 2005. Um my, my brother and I had just started an equipment finance company, uh, just a small little brokerage house where we're basically finding people who have equipment for sale and, and matching them with people who need to purchase that kind of equipment. And uh, it was, it was a, a bit of a grind, you know, a, a, a fun way to make a living. But uh, I realized quickly that I needed to work with, with the customers who I enjoyed working with. Uh, when we first started, I was financing tractor trailers for people or um, you know, copying machines for real estate agents or something like that. And I mean, there's <laughs> nothing more that'll make you want to drink a beer than doing business <laughs> with that kind of industry. So um, I'd always been a home brewer um, ever since college and uh, a pretty terrible one at that, but uh, certainly somebody who really loves beer. And um, uh, so I, I, at the same time, there's a, a, a brewery that was opening up right near my house it was the the guy who owned it was the owner of the local homebrew shop mm-hmm. and uh, so i was there helping him paint the walls of the new brewery um this is back before the big explosion of breweries but it was kind of right at the beginning you know when things were starting to take off again and i saw he had the uh, brewer's resource directory sitting there on his bar he didn't even have any bar stools yet <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, was, I was thumbing through it it was really nice and thin back then and I was thumbing through and I was like, you know what? Shit, man, there's not a single finance company in this directory. And uh, the next day I, I, uh, um, I founded Brewery Finance as just a trade name for the company my brother and I had, had started you know, a couple months earlier. Uh, I went down to Boulder to the Brewers Association and um, introduced myself and said, hey, I'm Rick Weiner. I, I just started a company called Brewery Finance and we're going to start financing equipment for, for breweries. And uh, we'd like to be a member of the Brewers Association. So uh, at that time, I mean, that was 15 or 16 years ago now, my hope was just to come across a deal here and there with somebody who was buying a fermenter or a keg washer or something like that, just so I could have my toe in the, in the water with, with the brewers, you know, an industry 
that I liked, an industry that I understood, uh, like-minded people, um, you know, how most beer geeks are. <laughs> so it doesn't matter what your politics are. We can all discuss hops, you know. Um, so uh, I, 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 I introduced myself to the Brewers Association, and uh, here we are 16 years later. I'm still doing it. Uh, breweries are 100% my focus, along with now distilleries, kombucha makers, uh, wineries, um, you know, any, any cider makers, any, anything like that, any kind of dis, uh, fermented beverage will finance those guys. And uh, I was real lucky. You know, they always say it's better to be lucky than good. Well, I, I don't know. <laughs> I was definitely <laughs> lucky. I was at the right time at the right place. There was no competition back then. Nobody else was really focusing on financing just breweries. And, um, and, and I caught the industry right as it was starting to explode and got in good with some really good vendors, um, some really good customers who were growing really quickly. And, um, and we just grew right along with them. It was, it's, it's been a, it's been a sweet ride. Right on, man. We said you were a, a home brewer. So I often ask like, what was the first craft beer that hooked you? Uh, you know, as I've said many times on the podcast, when I was in college, it was just, what's the cheapest and most, uh, <laughs> what's the cheapest beer we can get. Right. So, but then I had a fat tire and it kind of like, changed my pal a little bit. I was like, what is this? This is different, man. So with you having been a home brewing background, what was the first brew that, that hooked you and set you on this path? It, it is, it is funny. We're, we're probably more alike than different Jeff, because it, mine was also a fat tire. Nice. Uh, I was All in right. college. Um, they just opened an old Chicago's location where I went to in the little town. I went to school and it's called Greeley, Colorado. One of the first chain restaurants, I guess that, that showed up in, in that town back in the day. And they had, um, they had a fat tire Tuesday special every Tuesday. We can go in there and get one of those little bowling pins of, <laughs> of fat tire. And it was like, I think it was like two bucks for, for a, a, a bottle or something like that. Back in the day, it was a, for a college kid. It was fantastic for sure. And, uh, <laughs> I bought it because it was affordable and I kept drinking it cause it was delicious. And, um, and so that was probably the, the gateway beer for me. Um, I also at that time was working at a little uh heating and air conditioning plates making making duct work <laughs> during the summers <laughs> and that was in longmont which is you know i don't know 40 minutes away from the town i was going to college in and uh, there was a little brewery right around the corner that had just started uh there was just a couple guys that were it, it looked less like a brewery to me than just a cold space but i'd go in there every now and then and and buy uh bombers of um, like Sawtooth Ale, it was left, uh, left-hand brewing company. So right as they started, you could just buy a bomber right across the counter from one of the owners, be on your way. And uh, so it was, it was those amber and red ales that, uh, that got me hooked in the beginning. Ironically, fantastic. a style I don't even drink anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic, man. We, now, you guys said that you've been at this for 16 years. I mean, since 2005, I was, I was doing you know, some background on, on, your, on your website there. I mean, you've done over a thousand projects. You've helped fund you know, 55 million uh, specifically in the craft beer space. I mean, when we talk about clientele, you know, what, what is the clientele that predominantly makes up you know, what you guys have done over 16 years? Is it you know, that home brewer that's looking to make a leap and open up a place? Is it the, the place that's been operational for three to five years that's looking to, to level up? Or is it you know, a well-oiled machine that's looking to increase distribution to go, you know, outside maybe their, sure. their state and explore other parts of the country? Sure, sure. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, our mix of clientele is kind of all over the board. Um, I would say that, uh, I mean, so we work with a lot of startups. Um, they're always a little bit of a challenge to work with just because startups are hard to fund. 
uh, in mm. any industry. Um, it's just a high, you know, doesn't get more risky than when you haven't sold a single thing yet, you know? Sure. Um, <laughs> sure. so, so, <laughs> so, so those are tough, but we, I spend an, an unbelievable amount of time working with, with startups. Um, we, the, the goal is to kind of get in early with them. And then as they grow again, we grow right along with them. So once they're two or three years in business and no longer considered a startup, the financing gets much easier. It gets much cheaper. And as they need to get more fermenters or more kegs or add a canning line or something like that, uh, we've got the experience with them to pay history with them and we can get them financed really quick and easy. Um, but we get a lot of referrals from, from within the industry. Uh, thankfully, you know, we've got a good reputation and we fought hard to keep it for a long time. And so we get a lot of referrals from vendors who sell equipment. We got a, a lot of referrals from, from other brewers. And, um, and so those are generally, those referrals are generally for, for clients who are two to five years in business or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, average transaction size is usually around 75 to $150,000. Um, it fits really neatly in, in what we call our little application only program. So we typically don't need to get financials or anything like that. We just are looking at some business credit, some personal credit, and um, you know, quick, clean, easy transactions. And then occasionally we get um, we get a client who maybe started out with us, you know, five years ago, and then and then worked their way up to where they're they're bankable. You know, they they don't really need somebody like Brewery Finance anymore. And they go they start working with their bank, and then out of nowhere they'll give us a call and just say you know, man, I need this 75 grand quick. The bank's a pain in the ass. Can you get this done for me? And it's like, yep, absolutely we do. So, so we work with them all over the board. Um, deals that are, you know, $5,000 for a small order of kegs to, you know, a, a $250,000 packaging system. So mm -hmm. they're all over the place, but I, I would say the Majority of my time is spent with startups. The majority of my money is not made on startups. <laughs> Understood. Understood. Well, let me ask you this. What are some of the, when somebody comes to you for either the first time or maybe the 10th time, what are, what are some of the major pain points um, for the breweries that you work with? And what are some of the solutions that you help them either overcome or, or provide? Sure, sure. Um, a lot of times, no pun intended, it's a bottleneck in their, in their process. Uh, you know, they, they don't, they're, they've got a lot of demand, but they don't have the right packaging line, um, or they don't have enough fermentation capacity or something like that. And so they're, uh, when, when you're a brewery and, and the name of the game is, is manufacturing, which is what it is at the end of the day, if you're, uh, if you don't have enough tanks for the demand, you're, you're losing out on an opportunity. And so, uh, one of those pain points is, is, is time, you know, how quickly can I get another 30 barrel fermenter in here. Um, a lot of times when you're, when you're going to your, your local bank, you're having to explain to them what a fermenter is and why it makes sense to buy one right now. And then they have to get together with their little committee and uh, I shouldn't be little at banks are good. <laughs> <laughs> they get together with their wonderful committee and they, and they poke holes in your, your credit and your business plan and all that kind of thing. And, um, and get back to you a couple of weeks later, and by that time, uh, you know, maybe that fermenter you had your eye on is sold or the manufacturer is waiting for a deposit before they start making it. They have a 12 week lead time. What it boils down to is time is money. And, mm -hmm. uh, and if, if uh, like I said earlier, some of those repeat customers come back to us, they're kind of sick of dealing with their bank or waiting for their bank is because we're quick and, and we can get things done for them quickly. And uh, yes, we'll be a little bit more expensive, but if you can have that fermenter three months earlier, um, that's a lot of turns on a, on your fermenter. You can make a lot of money. So, uh, that's probably the, the biggest pain point. I think 
every brewery is different. They're all run by individuals who, who all run businesses differently. And, sure. you know, some people never run into those capacity pain points. Sometimes it's, uh, uh, you know, Hey, I, you know, I've got, we need a hundred thousand dollar canning line. My credit is fantastic, but my partner, you know, can't, can't pay the bills to save his life. Uh, that's a major pain point because that's hurt your ability to get funding. Sure. Uh, so there, there's, we see that kind of stuff all the time, but. Gotcha. So let me ask you this, uh, as far as some of the finer points of what you guys do, because obviously being in the financial world, I know the differences between a lot of different things and obviously you're, you're knee deep in it, but with regards to standard financing versus a lease, how do you explain that to some of the guys that may be new to trying to acquire financing or funding for either a startup or maybe they just hadn't considered the different options before? Sure. Sure. Yeah. First thing I would suggest is they take, they take a drink. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> um, yeah, there's, there's, it, it's, it's a lot of it is kind of nuanced, but there really is a lot of differences. And, and I, I will confess, um, and I kind of wear this as a, you know, a, a badge of pride that I'm not really a finance guy. I'm really a beer guy who provides financing than a finance guy who works in the beer industry. So, um, my, uh, my background in college was English. Um, but, uh, I, I somehow stumbled into this, so I'm not going <laughs> to sit here and tell you that I know everything there is about financing, but I certainly understand my corner of the, of the finance world. Mm-hmm. And, um, so what we provide are, are either, uh, capital leases, true leases, or what's called an equipment finance agreement. And uh, a capital lease is like a lease with $1 buyout. So you're, you're essentially agreeing to own that equipment at the end of the term, but you're going to treat it as a lease. Um, me as a lessor would own the equipment on paper until you've made your full commitment of payments. And then at the end of that term, you pay us a dollar and you own the equipment. We sign, you know, we, we release a lien essentially. Gotcha. Um, the, the benefit of doing that is that it is, uh, the equipment is considered yours in terms of the IRS, uh, not mine, the, the, the breweries. As far as the IRS looks at it, the, the, uh, that is the brewery's equipment. So you can, uh, uh, you can uh, take like your section 179 deduction as if you owned the equipment, uh, as if you paid cash for the equipment. Uh, you can um, say, I'm going to lose. See, if I was, if I was, if I was a better English major, I'd remember the word I was looking for. All good. <laughs> Oh, good. Uh, but, but anyway, so, so you, you, you can take all the depreciation. That's what I'm looking for. You can, you can depreciate that asset on your books. Um, if you're going to do a, a true lease, it would be like a, uh, like the old copier machine leases back in the day, you would, you would finance the equipment for a term of 36 or 48 or 60 months or whatever. And at the end of the term, you have the option of either purchasing it for fair market value, um, returning the equipment to the lessor in, in good condition or simply continuing to make rental payments on it. Um, hardly anybody does that anymore, but it is a, a nice financial tool because it allows you to not necessarily own the asset, but to use the asset and allow the, the underwriter will take the depreciation on it, but you just get to write off every monthly payment as if it's just a business expense. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other thing I mentioned was an equipment finance agreement. That's essentially like a lease with a $1 buyout, which I call the capital lease. And uh, you just, Instead of the one dollar buyout, you just own the equipment at the end of the term. That's the closest to traditional financing that we offer. But the big difference is with traditional financing, um, you can you can pay the equipment off early without any kind of penalty. I mean, you can just pay the remaining uh, uh, 
principal on on the transaction. With a lease, the kind of we do, your payoff is number of payments remaining times monthly payment. So you're not getting penalized necessarily, but you're not going to save any money. Um, also, with with traditional financing, I think typically like the SBA or banks might offer a a 10 or a 15 year term or something like that. Whereas with a lease, it's going to be a shorter term. Um, the benefit is, is much quicker. We have banks, like I kind of referred to either, earlier with the, uh, the, the little finance committee, I believe is what I called it, but you know, they, they have a credit window that's really small and, and, and leasing companies don't have that uh, restriction. We can, we can look at things differently. We can really get, take the time to understand an industry or the story behind somebody's poor credit score, and we can open up our credit this big. And so we're much uh-huh. more flexible. Uh, we'll also provide hundred percent financing. So uh, a lot of times with a bank, if you're, if you're financing a hundred thousand dollar piece of equipment, they want maybe 20% down uh, up front. Well, so you're really only financing $80,000, right? Um, we'll finance a hundred thousand dollars and we'll pay the vendor a hundred thousand dollars on your behalf. We typically get first and last payment up front. So very nominal amount of money up front. Um, but I think the, the, the main difference is it's, it's, it's quicker. It's more expensive typically depending on credit, of course. Sure. And, um, and, uh, and, and yeah, they're, they're just completely different financial tools. And I always tell people, you know, I, and I know it sounds like I'm bagging on banks, I always tell people, go to your bank first. That's where you're going to find your cheapest money. I would, if I was starting a brewery or if I was buying equipment, I'd go to my bank first too. And I'd see what they have to offer and what the process looks like. Now, are you finding that, uh, you know, I've done multiple podcasts here in the last couple of months where a lot of guys are going, I mean, canning has been a big thing here with the pandemic and whatnot, but getting access to aluminum is running about three months behind sure. as a deliverable. Do you guys, sure. um, in situations like that, are you more apt to do more than hundred percent financing? Or if we know there's going to be a stagnation or delay, do you, do you have to bring more to the table um, as far as a down payment goes or in a situation like that, the hundred percent would still apply. You know, I think that that's a that, big, that, that, I think that's a question in today's environment that people are kind of, you know, can I get a specific answer I, on this? I, yeah, I, I agree with you. And I wish you hadn't brought it up. Let's not put it out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, our, our industry is, is it's a, it's a great industry in a lot of ways. Um, it's very flexible. We're very quick to react, but, uh, but we're really looking for the most part, we're looking at, uh, we're looking at personal credit to make decisions, personal credit and business credit to make decisions. And so, uh, you know, if, if, uh, if somebody comes to us and says, Hey, we need a canning line and it's a really borderline credit. And I know enough about the industry to know that oh, there's aluminum shortages or, Hey, maybe you can get a whole load of cans, but you don't, you can't find the lids, <laughs> you know? Um, I might say, you know what? I don't know. I don't know if you've got the runway to make it, you know, you might be able to make a couple payments on this machine, but you're, you're never going to make it until you can get those cans and those lids. Um, we might say that, but I haven't seen that yet. It's, it's still really just based on, you know, Hey, we see you've got a good pay history on similar debt in the past. Um, you have good uh, personal credit. Yeah, we'll get that done for you and we'll make it quick. And uh, I guess we, I guess we kind of trust that the client knows what they're getting into and, and, and hope that we're making the right decision. Um, but, you know, we do also know that that canning line is still valuable to somebody else if it doesn't work out for whoever it is that we finance it for. And, and so it, we're, we are taking a risk for sure. 
Um, we certainly don't want to have to repossess a, a piece of equipment. And thankfully, you know, knock on wood, haven't had to do it very much at all in, in 15 or 16 years. Um, but if we do have to do it, um, we know we can re Gotcha. I mean, with regards to the tax side of things, I mean, is there, what are some of the benefits to leasing versus owning? I mean, you mentioned depreciation earlier, but, you know, just circle back to that point for me. What would be the benefits from a tax perspective, leasing versus owning? Yeah. Yeah. Well, for, for a true lease, the, the real benefit is just writing off the monthly payment. Um, um, and, and again, we, we do very few of those. It used to be a really popular product, but, but I mean, pretty much not in my lifetime as a leasing guy. Mm. Um, the vast majority of clients we work with are, are buying equipment or financing equipment with a $1 buyout lease or the equipment finance agreement that I mentioned. And both from terms of like tax ramifications, they're both the same thing. It's almost as if you paid cash for, for the equipment, the way you treat the, the taxes. I think the benefit is taking a long-term asset and spreading out the ownership of it over four or five years. Uh, you know, I talked to some some accountants way back in the day when I was just kind of interviewing them for an, an article I was writing about brewery financing. And one of them had said, um, you know, don't use short-term money for a long-term asset. It just doesn't make any sense. You know, buy that, use that money for grain or advertising or something you can't finance. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I didn't answer your question with regards to taxes, but uh, <laughs> I, think the, I think the benefit is is really just spreading out your cash flow. Sure. I mean, I'm a big proponent of using leverage the right way, right? So sure. if I can take a full cup and pour it into a bathtub and stretch it out, I think there's definitely some added added benefits to that. I mean, do you sure. find do you find that most of the breweries prefer owning the equipment at the end of the lease? Do you and and go oh, sure. that way, or do you think they repurpose and resell and you know try to find newer technology or whatever that's going on in the space at that given time? Sure. Yeah. Um, they do. They, they want to own the equipment. And, and my advice is generally, why wouldn't you want to own the equipment? Because it's worth that equipment. It would be different. Again, if it was a copier, you wouldn't want to own it because it's useless at the end of three or four years. Mm-hmm. Um, but and it has no resale value. But a, a fermenter has very few moving parts. It's a big stainless steel vessel that any other brewery would be happy to have in their, you know, in their, their, their cellar. Uh, um, yeah, fermenter seller. I got that one wrong. But anyways, <laughs> um, but uh, but anyways, they, they they can. What I say is okay. So you've you've got uh, you're going to make payments on this thing for three years. At the end of that term, you have the option to own it for one dollar. Why wouldn't you spend that dollar? And if you don't need it anymore, sell it. You can probably still get fifty percent what you paid for it already. Make a lot sure. of money back that you spent on interest sure. and whatnot. Um, you could return it to us. You know, we could put you up in a lease like that. Um, but you, you just spent three years making payments on this thing and now you've got nothing to show for it. Um, there are, again, there are some tax advantages, but to me, you know, I always tell people talk to your accountant, but to me, it doesn't make sense. It's, you know, <laughs> understood. Well, you know, as you know, my, my day-to-day job as an advisor, I mean, my main goals are to educate, guide, and counsel that will allow us to change and pivot as life happens, right? So when you guys issue uh, an equipment lease or you help an, a, a brewery with finance, how involved do you guys stay in throughout the process? Are you there for support? Are you there to answer questions? Uh, or is it sign on the dotted line and we'll see you when the when the payment's done, when all the payments are done? <laughs> yeah, it's probably, I would love to say that we're sitting there calling them every, every week and holding their hand through any questions that we have. But the reality is um, we're really busy too. And, and uh, thankfully, are you know brewers keep us busy i check in from time to time um 
obviously I'm always here to answer questions if somebody has one. Uh, hopefully if I've done my job, I've answered all the questions that I can up front before they sign anything. Cause I don't, I don't ever want to be responsible for putting somebody into something that they're not comfortable with. Um, the reality is, you know, you, you, we, they sign their pick, uh, we fund the vendor, the, the vendor does their job and delivers the equipment. And as long as there's no problems, as long as that equipment's uh, doing what it's supposed to be and, and generating cash for the brewery, um, our customers really don't call us until they need something more or if they want to pay off a quote or something like that. And, uh, and I stay in touch with, you know, the occasional blast email that says, Hey, don't remember, no, don't forget the end of the year is coming up. Don't forget your section 179 deduction, or, you know, uh, can we help you with working capital, get through tax season or whatever, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not as, as, I guess, as, uh, as hands-on as, I'd like to say that I am, <laughs> but, but I'm also, I'm not so not invisible. I'm, I'm very easy to get a hold of. I'm really easy to find. I do pick up my phone and return phone calls for sure. That's great. I mean, you, you mentioned cash flow. I mean, cash flow is, is paramount. I mean, um, when a group comes to you guys, do you kind of educate them on the benefits of what you guys can provide and open up the cash flow to be, I mean, you said it just a few minutes ago, use that dollar somewhere else whether it's sure. in marketing or advertising, et cetera. What, what do you guys, what is part of some of the dialogue that you guys have initially with improving a brewery's cash flow or maybe offering them something that they haven't thought about before through the process of trying to gain financing with you guys? Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, so I, I think most of the people who apply with us have already been through the rigmarole of talking to their bank. And and so they've already considered what that looks like. And, uh, and, and, and when what cash flow means to them, uh, what we what I try to do is is point out. You know, we can structure financing in a lot of different ways. Um, my my advice is is generally, or if I have advice to offer, is uh, you know, I always advise you know you're comfortable with, because again, with with the leases payoff is calculated. The way you're going to save money is to to shorten the term, um, and and the, the, with as it goes towards cash flow. Uh, yeah, we only charge typically the first and last payment up front. Um, and I, I like to point that out because, again, a bank is going to take 20% right off the top, sure. um, typically. Anyways, you know, paying them in the corner. But, um, yeah, so uh, I, I don't I don't have to do, thankfully, I guess, a ton of hand-holding. You know, by the time people call us, they're, they know pretty much what they want or what their needs are. And, and as much as I would like to say it's because uh, there's some – wonderful benefit to to leasing or something like that what it, my gut tells me after this many years of doing it it's really just because we offer a quick and simple solution gotcha now i mean is there if somebody comes to you and they say well maybe this option is too expensive right now i'll just pay cash for the equipment you know do you guys try to kind of pull that conversation back and say let's let's not put all your eggs in one basket let's kind of Use that analogy I used earlier as, hey, let's take a short-term solution and put it in a bathtub to free up your cash and do something else. Sure. What are some of the benefits you guys try to provide with saying, hey, don't put all your cash over here. Utilize some different strategies that could benefit the business. Yeah. Um, I'm probably not a great sales guy because uh, when somebody tells me that they've made up their mind that they're going to do this or that, um, I typically just say, hey, that, that's your business decision to make. Uh, I hope it works out well for you. We'll keep the approval open for 90 days if if you change your mind. You know, a lot of times somebody will go pay cash for that equipment and then realize, oh, 
75 grand is a lot of money to not have in my account all of a sudden. Sure. And, and we can do a quick, you know, some quick paper paperwork and get them reimbursed um, or reimburse them for half of it or something like that. But uh, uh, yeah, I'm not, um, I'm here to answer any questions. I'm, I'm certainly want to get deals done, but I'm, I'm never, I've never been one of those guys who's going to try to talk somebody out of a decision they've already made. Yeah. I mean, given the environment we've been in for the last 18 months with uh, the pandemic and everything, are you seeing an uptick of more breweries coming to you first than going to the local bank? Just given that, you know, everything that's been in kind of the sphere of earth uh, these last year, you know, year and a half with dislocations of various supply chains to, you know, kind of this wait and see mode. If we're going to get federal funding or we're going to finance this that the, the banks have been dealing with for the last year and a half. Are you seeing an uptake yep. of more people choosing to come to you first and just skipping the local bank entirely? We we did get, especially as the pandemic hit and before all that federal money was kind of sussed out, um, well, we got absolutely hammered with requests for financing for canning lines. Mm. Um, and, and it was, again, I keep coming back to this, but it was the, it was the, it was the easy button. Like, you know, we got a lot of old customers out there who are like, oh shit, <laughs> that's all <probably> refinance <laughs> because we know we can get this thing on yeah. order you know, by the end of the week. And, um, and, and then what I'm seeing honestly is, is once, you know, some of that federal money came through, we're getting a lot of payoff requests because, uh-huh. okay, now we've got this, this really cheap, big wad of cash sitting in the, in the account and we've got to do something with it. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, it all depends. You know, some people know that they're not bankable and some people have to get educated that they're not bankable and, and they won't learn that until they've, they've, I was going to say, until they beat their head against a couple walls at a couple different banks. And, you know, and I'm, I'm always impressed with brewers. They're so creative and so persistent. It might be that fifth bank that you, you open the door to that finally says, yes, you know, I, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll take a look at someone's credit and be like, Oof, you know, <laughs> no, we can't do this. Right. And, and a year later, I, I see their Facebook page, they got their doors open and they're, you know, full steam ahead. So, um, so yeah, it's, uh, I guess to answer your question, we we did certainly see an uptick um, as the pandemic hit. Uh, I think now a lot of businesses are are I don't know if used to is the right word, but they're they're uh, they're using that that federal money, um, and so there was you know there was this initial wave of applications, and then it kind of tapered off. Right as as that money was coming in and people trying to figure out how to use it and what's the best use of their funds and what equipment can they buy and that kind of thing um but it's been pretty consistent over the last four or five months nothing like it was pre-pandemic you know that was uh that was a rocket ship ride for a while um and and now it's it's brewers are more cautious and lenders are more cautious and and everyone's kind of looking things over and just trying to figure out okay is this a good fit for our credit appetite um, our lending appetite and, and brewers are wondering, you know, gosh, do I really want to get $250,000 or more debt when we don't know if we're going to be shut down again? You know, very true. So very true. Well, let me ask you this with you guys being in Colorado, are you kind of in that mountain West region or have you done business throughout the entire country as far as the four corners of the, of uh, the United States here? Yeah, we have been nationwide since day one. Um, certainly we have a, a pretty strong foothold in the, in the mountain West, just from being physically here, uh, for a long time, our, our, our former parent company was in Washington. So we, um, had some boots on the ground there. Um, uh, but, uh, we've been nationwide from the beginning. 
Um, I'm real proud of some of the customers that we've worked with over the years. You know, Maui Brewing Company is one of our first customers way back in the day. Um, mm-hmm. Here locally, we've got Oscar Blues long time ago, Ska, um, one of my favorite breweries. Um, but we worked with uh, Terrapin Beer Company down in Georgia before they were um, oh, yeah. acquired or whatever. You know, we've had a lot of uh, a lot of clients out there who came to us when they were in that growth stage right before things they really blew up and um it's really uh, it's really cool to have been a very small part of getting them to that stage you know and a lot of them i've remained friends with over the years it's, it's really cool to go to beer festivals or or conferences and whatnot and and see these guys that are like oh shit man we're all still here this is crazy <laughs> <laughs> well that's what that's you know i often talk about this a lot is growth can be fickle man it's uh you want to grow at the right rate and speed that you don't get too far over your skis. Right. So it's, sure. it, and you know, just in Indiana here alone, I think we're up to around 183 breweries just in this state. So, wow. you know, and I just did a, a podcast with, with Triton that'll probably come out this week. And, you know, they, they were one of the older dogs around here for a while. Um, have you guys had any experience with any here in the state of Indiana? I'm sure that we have, I would have to look at my database and, and see um, to come up with a name for you. Well, I'll say this. I would be surprised if we don't. Um, gotcha. And I, I guess I could follow up with you. <laughs> but I don't know. Uh, I still don't know if it was one to give a shout out to here, here on the podcast, man. I mean, it's, um, you know, I think there's, you know, a lot of questions around financing. You know, I've been in financial services going on 20 years. And, you know, there's a there's a common question, whether you're in the, the real estate side, the equipment side is, is soft costs. I mean, it, you know, if do you guys cover things like soft costs, whether it's installs, delivery, maybe there's setup or training that's involved for the equipment that comes. Sure. Do you guys assist in, in covering the soft costs or are you guys just dialed into the specific equipment there? Yeah, no, we have a kind of a built-in policy of, of we'll allow at least 20% of the funding amount to go towards soft costs. Gotcha. Uh, so generally speaking, that would be installation, training, shipping, that doesn't include tax. If there's any kind of tax due, that's its own separate thing that just gets thrown on top of it. Um, but so again, yeah, if we have a hundred thousand dollar deal, 20 grand of it can be for, you know, stuff we'll never recover if we ever have to repossess the equipment. And, um, I mean, that's all learning how to use. It's all part of buying the equipment. You know, we can't leave somebody hanging out there. (laughs) (laughs) Brand new deep palletizer. Idea how to operate. (laughs) Gotcha. Well, I know there's, there's gotta be a, there's a million questions you can ask around this, this, this subject of of finance, but I think we pretty much did a great job of kind of hitting the high points that if somebody had a question, what's the best way to get in touch with you guys at brewery finance. If somebody listens to this and says, Hey, they brought up a topic that it's kind of been a, you know, sticking our craw for a bit. Why don't sure. we just get some education or reach out to them? What's the best way to contact you guys and sure. get some knowledge? I, I totally appreciate the opportunity. It's, it's funny when you ask me that, um, just a quick digression here. I was, I was on, uh, I was being interviewed on American craft beer radio a couple of years ago. Um, and I was super nervous and wasn't prepared for them to kind of throw it to me. Like, Hey, what's your phone number? And my mind went completely blank. <laughs> like, I, I, I have no idea what my phone number is or how to get hold of me. Um, yeah, our, the, the best thing to do is probably uh, all my contact information is on the website. It's just brewerifinance.com. Um, my email is real easy, rickw at brewerifinance.com. And, uh, and yeah, my phone number, everything's all out there. Um, 
we do have social media, but as a finance guy, it's hard to get followers. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, sure. Oh, sure. So if, uh, if, if you if you like what you heard, go to at Brewery Finance <laughs> through Twitter and Instagram. Well, and, I and, love I love you guys' website, man. You guys, oh, your website cracks me the hell up, man. Uh, putting the F back at funding. Who is that? Is who is that gentleman that's doing that video? Is, uh, oh. Okay, this is perfect. That's a perfect question because he's the host of American Craft Beer Radio, the one where I lost is my really? mind. Couldn't remember. <laughs> yeah, his 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 name is Gary Valier. He has got a perfect radio voice, as you can see those uh, in in those commercials. And and we we tapped on his shoulder to 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 be the the pitch man for those commercials. And as far as I'm concerned, he nailed it out of the park. I love playing around with the f word like that yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and and it's I'm, i appreciate you mentioned that i love those commercials and again we haven't done a great job of getting them out there but they crack me up every time i see them yeah i mean you say you mentioned social media i mean that's probably the that's probably the first and only thing i put up on social media because i love them man <laughs> i loved it uh well, before my that. last question here i want to i want to circle back to this point you said you were a home brewer and i always mm-hmm. love asking um the brewmasters that sit down for the podcast or anybody that's connected to the beer business that was a home brewer is that, you know, when I go to a brewery, those are the, the successes that made the taps, but there's always one beautiful story about something that maybe sounded good on paper or ended up, uh, maybe you wanted to try a few different things and then it just ended dead on arrival and just was utter shit. Uh, as a home brewer, you said you weren't the greatest. So circling back to that, there has to be a fun conversation about a blend that you tried that just, uh, came out terribly. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Yeah. My, my very first batch of homebrew was, um, was in college and I've had a lot of crappy batches since then, but the first one was, is an extract brew. Um, again, I was going to school in this town called Greeley, which is probably, I don't know, 40 minutes or an hour away from Boulder. And Boulder was the nearest place I could find a homebrew shop. And I believe I'd have to ask him to find out, but I believe that the owner of that homebrew shop, it was Paul Gatza from the Brewers Association. Like I remember going in there and that if it wasn't him, it was his damn doppelganger. I can tell you that much. So anyways, I, I drove all the way down there. This is before the internet, right? I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I read a couple books and, um, and I bought an extract batch and I was reading the instructions, a little, uh, a little f- copy of paper that had been copied 4,000 times or something. So it's all wonky and, <laughs> and jacked up and, and I'm not understanding what it's telling me how to, how to, uh, it wanted me to heat up the, uh, the extract, the, the malt extract by putting it in the water, the warming, the water as it was warming up. And I thought, well, that's easy enough. So I just dropped this whole plastic bucket down into this big old jug of water I was heating up over the, uh, on the stove. And immediately the bottom of the bucket of, of malt just completely melted out and stuck to the bottom of the, oh. of the, pan, you know, the, <laughs> the pot that I was using. And so I go to pull it up and there's things, there's no bottom on it anymore. And all the malt went down there. <laughs> well, I, uh, I dumped that entire batch in the grass because I knew I wasn't very smart, never have been, but I knew that, uh, that making beer with a bunch of melted plastic and it wasn't a good idea. So I dumped that in the grass. I drove all the way back to freaking Boulder, bought a whole another batch from who I think was Paul, and then drove back to my my dumpy little apartment in Greeley and made a whole another batch. We fermented it in a closet by a washing machine, I think, or where <laughs> washing should have been. And uh, yeah, it was terrible. I, I couldn't tell you what it tasted like. I remember my roommate loved it. I mean, he was drinking it like a crazy person, but I couldn't 
I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't get one down. He, I'll just put it this way. It was alcohol. It was not beer. <laughs> it was not. Well, maybe beer. he was an early fan of kombucha that you said you, that you, that you, right. that you, that you help out with. So he, he was getting used to that taste early on, man. That's right. <laughs> but I've had a lot of bad batches. I would say that the best mistake I ever made was, was fermenting a Hefeweizen, which, which was one of my favorite styles. Um, mm. I still love it. But I don't, you know, I have. Um, this is before I knew the right levels in that cup of eisen, and it came out absolutely delicious despite like fermenting in, in my dining room right near a, a window that was right by the sun and despite having just a terrible yeast count and all this kind of stuff and I was talking to to a friend who is a brewmaster and I was asking him god that was the best beer I've ever made I've never been able to duplicate it and he's like well yeah because you fucked it up in all the right ways for a hefeweizen <laughs> <laughs> you did exactly what you needed for a hefeweizen <laughs> oh that's beautiful that's beautiful. All right, Rick, last question, man. Um, sure. You know, when I sit down with my clients uh, or prospects for the first time, I often ask the same question that, you know, if we were to start working together, what would need to transpire in the next three years, whether it be professionally, financially, even emotionally, that we can look back on our time spent together and say with absolute certainty that it was valuable. Uh, sure. As it relates to what you guys are doing at Brewery Finance, I mean, if we sat down to do another podcast three years from now, what do you want to see happen with your group there in Colorado with brewery finance that if you accomplish in three years, you're going to look back and say, man, that uh, we set out to do everything we did coming out of this very unique time frame that we've all been <laughs> in depth with. That, that, is, that is such a great question. And, and I appreciate you asking it. And, and I think, um, you know, there's obvious financial goals and that kind of thing, but, but for me, especially coming out of the pandemic, um, for, for, well, I'll, I'll, just a quick story. So, like I said, we started this thing 15 or 16 years ago, nine or so, eight or nine years ago, we were acquired by a company that was up in Washington. And that company was then acquired by another company in, in California, right as the pandemic hit. It's been a lot of transitions. And through all that, the thing that I miss the most is just fun just having fun. It was that emotional element. Um, uh, so we'll call this breaking news because it's happening as we speak, but I'm in the process of taking brewery finance back and it's, it's going to be my company 100% all over again. Oh, wow. And, and so over the next man. three, thank you. I'm, I'm stoked. <laughs> I'm nervous, but stoked. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the chief thing that I want to accomplish when I look back over the last three years is I want to continue building cool, fun relationships with clients and uh, I want to be a part in helping breweries be successful. And I just want to have fun. That's, that's, that's what it is to me anymore. I've, I've worked really hard. I've gone through the grind. COVID <laughs> beat the hell out of a lot of us. Sure. And, uh, and I'm, I'm ready to just, just go out there and smile again. Well, that's fantastic. Well, that's a perfect way to end this thing. Rick, I, I appreciate you jumping on today. For all those that are looking to get some education, learn about how they can level up their business or just get access to cash if you're just starting up, Contact Rick and his team at Brewery Finance, man. I really appreciate you doing this, brother. Cheers. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Cheers, brother. All right, man. You you have a great rest of your day. Pleasure. (laughs) Take care. Well, that's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. For the latest on financial views with local brews, please check out our website, 
at financialviewswithlocalbrews.com. You can also find us on YouTube via our channel there under the same name, Financial Views with Local Brews, as well as follow us on all of our social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, where you can like and connect with us throughout the craft beer universe that we're trying to explore here in the great state of Indiana. As always, cheers. The next round's on me, and I look forward to seeing you for future episodes. Bye, everyone.